Welcome to the Strife Podcast, exclusively a part of the Fury Podcast Network. This is the podcast where we talk all things competition, whether it be in the NFL, NBA, Big Brother, Wrestling, UFC. If they're competing, we're talking about it. I am your host, Kevin Gilreath, and I'm here, as always, with the one and only CJ Lee. CJ, how you doing, man? I'm doing good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. So this podcast, as you know, is here to talk about competition, and I figured I could bring in one dude that I know a ton of things about sports. He knows more than anyone else I know. CJ Lee, are you happy to be doing the show? Love it. Love sports. Love competition, especially those reality shows like uh, Survivor, The Challenge. Mm-hmm. I just I want to analyze all Great of it. Great British Bake Off. We're going to talk about those. We're going to talk about the NBA, NFL. Nailed it. One of my guilty pleasures. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about all these shows, all these things. But we're going to mainly we're going to talk about a lot of sports, right? There's a lot of sports podcasts talking. And today is September 11th, so let's just get into it. Last night there was a football game. For the first time in a long time. Because mm-hmm. we didn't get to ease into this football season. There was no preseason. No preseason. There was no college football before no it. No college. I mean, the the first kickoff I saw was the uh, UAB went up against Miami at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that, that did happen last night. We're not going to talk so much about that game, though. Well, because nobody cared because the NFL started. Because the NFL started. And last night we had the Kansas City Chiefs taking on the Houston Texans. In the first game of the season. Now, I don't know about you, but I am a big fan of the Super Bowl champs and of the Texans. I don't love Bill O'Brien. But last night, I felt like we had a pretty good, pretty good game. Eh, it, it was a good game for the Chiefs. Yeah. yeah. It, it was a blowout. And the, the final score was a 34-20. Mm-hmm. Looked closer than it was. But it was a good game for the Chiefs. It was not a great game for the Texans. First thing that caught my eye when they went on the field was I didn't expect there to be fans in the stands. Yeah, so it, it as with everything in our COVID world, we're handling it on a state-by-state basis mm-hmm. and a county-by-county basis. So there are, I believe, six teams that are going to be allowed to have fans in the stands at least the first month, Chiefs being one of them. The only other team that's going to have fans in the stands this weekend will be the Jaguars. Okay. Um, and I believe later on this month, you will see fans for the Dolphins, for the Bucks, for the Cowboys, and I believe for the Texans. Okay, so Texas and Florida will be having mainly the fans as well as um, they'll be in Kansas City, Missouri? Correct. And they all will be at that 20 to 25% capacity. Okay. Now, with that said... It was real weird seeing fans in the stands because we don't have fans in the stands or anything else. The only other place I've seen fans in the stands is at AEW Wrestling when they came back two weeks ago with right. 25% of their fans. But when they were first starting to rerun the shows, there was no they had wrestlers around the edges acting as a crowd. Right, okay. And so this is the first time this is the second time you've seen fans in stands. Last night um, the players had a protest, if you will, where they all stood together and linked arms, and they got booed by those 15,000 fans in the stands. Yeah, it was a moment of unity. Uh, talked about it a little bit with some friends on social media. The only 
nice thing I could say is they were impatient and ready for some football. Because why else would you be booing a moment of unity? Right, because it wasn't, that's not even divisive, I don't feel like. They linked arms, they stood, people were talking about the flag and whatnot. Uh, they stood, no, they, they didn't kneel in this situation. They were standing linked together, showing that they were together, like you said, a moment of unity. Yet, fans felt like it was their place to boo. So, the, the Chiefs had one player who knelt during the National Anthem. The, the Texans, Texans stayed in the locker room yeah. because they said, they came out and said, this is a team decision that the players made because there's some people who are going to kneel. There's some people who are going to stand. We don't want it to be divisive for our team. And I kind of side with the Texans on that because all the broadcaster talked about was how only one player on the Chiefs knelt and everyone else was standing in arms and supporting each other. It shouldn't be controversial to protest the end of systemic racism. Right. And the crowd booing that, like you're booing their peaceful protest. Mm -hmm. That is a problem that they are trying to address and yet they're getting negative attention for it. The thing is, people feel like I don't people feel like sports and politics should be individual. They should be separate from each other. But I feel like you can't have sports without some a little bit of politics mixed in. I mean, you take the the Munich Olympics and you have what what's going on with Hitler in power and people didn't show up. Yep. You take um what happened when when those Two guys still on the on the podium and raise their fists with their black gloves on. Politics has permeated throughout sports for a lifetime, right? So I don't know why now we think that they should be as mutually exclusive. It's you know like people are saying sports and politics shouldn't mix. Well, church and politics also shouldn't mix. It's in our constitution. Mm-hmm. If they're gonna mix, okay, whatever. But like, you can't say you can't do one, but you can do the other. Right. The reason why it's important for athletes to say something is because they have a visible platform. And peaceful protesting got Kaepernick barred. Yeah, he got barred from the NFL. Like, and the reason you know it actually happened is because he filed a collusion suit and they settled and made it go away. Mm-hmm. Like they didn't fight it. Cause although it's cheaper to settle than to actually pursue in the court of law, pursuing they had to win. And they obviously didn't have an ironclad case of we didn't do this. Mm-hmm. So he started the conversation here. We are four years later and now they have, end racism on the end zones. The they end have, zone, yeah. you know, voter activation clauses because minority groups are usually suppressed when it comes to voting. They're trying to get their message out there and they're using the platform that they have. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with that. You saw the vitriol with the NBA. Was it last week, two weeks ago when they decided to sit out games in protest and then everyone was angry, but that was the first time that politicians took notice of what they were saying. Right. Like, in order to make change, it's the whole Kaepernick, um, the marketing campaign they did, sacrifice something even if it costs you everything. That's what they have to do. Right. And people don't want to do that. 
or they don't want to see it. They don't see it, and they don't. They feel like they shouldn't be a part of it. And like I said, most I don't feel like most people are against these things. They just don't know how to deal with it. Right. And that's what's rough, and that's what's they need to learn to accept and deal with. It's it's a tough conversation. It's one that we will be having throughout the time we do this podcast. Uh, but right now, I want to get back to the football game itself. And one of the dudes that really did his thing last night for the Kansas City Chiefs was Clyde Edwards-Alaire. 138 yards, one touchdown, rookie, first touches. He had another opportunity for a second touchdown. They tried to really punch it in. Yeah, at the one he got stopped three times. Man, this dude—he's not very—he's not very tall, but he's mighty. <laughs> he's mighty, and I—I I was a fan when I watched him at LSU, and I'm a fan now. I liked what I saw from him. I mean, he was in the perfect offense for his skill set. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he was going to light it up this soon. I thought that you know he's a rookie. There was no mini camps. There was no training, like training camp was the first four weeks was the equivalent of mini camp because they were trying to get everybody back in shape. They did, I think, 18 padded practices. He hasn't played in an NFL game at all. Ever. He hasn't played against anyone who wasn't his teammate. And then he comes in and lights it up. It was the perfect marriage of skill and coaching. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He went into the perfect spot. It's funny because like from a fantasy football perspective, he was the only rookie that I wanted this year. Mm-hmm. I, I actually downgraded all of my rookies in my fantasy leagues because I was afraid that this lack of an offseason was going to make them not very effective until maybe the second half of the season, if at all. Because, you know, you hear a lot of guys like the biggest adjustment is in year one, then year two, you actually know what you're doing. He went to the perfect system because he didn't have to learn pass protections because the Chiefs just. Everyone runs a route. If you're an eligible receiver, you run a route. He w- goes behind his line and there's like, do I want to go through this hole for 10 yards or do I want to go through this hole for eight yards? I think I'm going to pick the 10-yard hole because we are steamrolling them. He got set up perfectly and he was good. I didn't think he was going to be that good right, right out the right out the gate. gate. Yeah. yeah. We had another fantastic game for Patrick Mahomes. I, I, that was just Patrick Mahomes being Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, another great day from him. 211 yards, three touchdowns for a fantasy that relates to some points. I don't know what the, the conversion is off the top of my head. I'm, I'm not going to have him in any fantasy drafts because people keep drafting him first overall and you should be taking Christian McCaffrey, but he puts up points. He does put up points. On the other side of the ball, David Johnson, man. Someone turned the Wayback Machine on and brought him back to like 2016 he had 11 carries for 77 yards and a touchdown. That touchdown he ran where he jump cut behind the line of scrimmage, shook a guy, accelerated through the hole, goes sideways on another cut, and then burst into the end zone. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's old David Johnson. The other 10 carries, I don't know how much I believe of it because the Chiefs are horrible against the run last year. Okay. So the way to beat the Chiefs is to run the ball down their throat because the way that they play defense is they get an early lead because they're offense and they run exotic blitzes and make you play catch up. That's what their defense does. That's what they accelerate at. And the Texans kept it close early in the first half by running the ball. David Johnson had nine of his 14 carries before halftime. Mm. 
after the half. They, they were in they catch were up. Mode. In the run, yeah, yeah. Like the where that game swung was when the Texans were down. I think it was fourteen seven. They went for the field goal, missed the field goal. The Chiefs got the field goal in thirty seconds, right before the half, making it seventeen seven. They come out. They get the ball back after the half. They score another touchdown. It's now 24-7. You now have to throw to catch up the rest of the game. Right. Like, at that point, the game was over, unfortunately, for the Texans. And throwing Deshaun Watson did. He threw for 253 yards and a touchdown and a pick. Uh, Will Fuller was the real beneficiary from the passing game. They didn't really mix in. uh, Randall Cobb really had two catches, and they didn't really mix in Brandon uh, cook that much but with eight receptions on 10 targets for will fuller i feel like he's just taking over that deandre hopkins role so that's what i was looking at was he it looked like he took over deandre hopkins role in the offense and this is where i'm skittish about the lack of a preseason because the guys who were on the team are the ones who took most of the targets because like yeah you had brandon cooks with five you had David Johnson with four, but like Kenny Stills, who returned on the team, had two. DeAndre Carter, who nobody knows is, had two targets. Darren Fells, tight end, had two targets. Jordan Akins, another tight end, had two targets. So he was peppering it around, but he was focused on Will Fuller, mm-hmm. who did a good job. I'm wondering what it's going to look like, you know, one, two, three weeks from now for the Texans. Are they going to put someone else in that DeAndre Hopkins role and put Will Fuller back to the field stretcher that he was? Will Fuller run his routes and everything? Yeah, because he ran a lot of vertical routes. He took the top off the defense. DeAndre Hopkins worked in the short to intermediate part of the field. That's where he ate. Will Fuller was lighting people up because he was faster than almost everyone else. Right. So now, like, he's running intermediate routes. His longest catch was for 31 yards last night for his eight catches for 112. Is he going to continue doing that? And if he's going to continue doing that, are they just going to operate underneath like the last five years of the Tom Brady Patriots? Or are they going to get more creative? Because as much as we talk trash about Bill O'Brien being a horrible GM, he's actually a pretty good football coach. So, first question. Do you know Kiki Kuti is still on the scene? Yeah, he was inactive last night. Okay. So, Kenny Steele's. Is Kenny still supposed to be taking over the DeAndre Hopkins role? Not not like last night, but in general. Like who could fit that that DeAndre Hopkins type play? Is it him? Is it Brandon Cooks? So I thought it was gonna be Brandon Cooks and Will Fuller on the outside with Kenny Stills on the and Randall Cobb being the slot receivers. Okay. So the problem is, is Brandon Cooks has been hurt for most of the um, padded practice part of the preseason. So he wasn't out there running routes. I don't know if they're going to switch the offense once he's fully healthy to have him f- focus more as like the the DeAndre Hopkins role or if that's just Will Fuller's doing this now. Right. And if Will Fuller is doing this now, that's not a knock, but you have to figure out how to stretch the field because otherwise teams are just going to sit in a zone and you're going to get three to five yards every pass, or it's going to get knocked down because you don't have anyone taking the top off the defense. Right, stretching the field. Do you yeah. have? Do you have anyone any idea who they can if they need to get someone that can stretch the field? They have Will Fuller. They right. have Will Fuller who can do it. Kenny Stills can do it. Brandon Cooks can do it. Randall Cobb is not really a burner. Right. Like three of them have the ability to do it, but. 
I don't know who's going to actually do it. I think like I think Kenny Stills and Will Fuller have a similar skill set, although Will Fuller is faster. Right, and he's younger. And he's younger. Is he younger? I don't know if he's that much younger. Um, I think that Randall Cobb is your prototypical slot receiver. And I think Brandon Cooks is the most well-rounded. Like, I think he's the most talented receiver on that team. This is a couple years younger. Uh, I don't know if he will be the most productive receiver on that okay. team. Uh, but, you know, Bill O'Brien, he wants to run the ball. So I think we're going to see a lot of David Johnson this year if he stays healthy. And I think, like, David Johnson put up the numbers. I think he'll continue to put up the numbers like he did last night. And once they get into positive game scripts, he will look his stats will look a lot better because his stats look good. He just didn't have enough of them. So if, if from a fantasy football perspective, if you own David Johnson, should you be trying to sell? Should you be holding? I would hold. I, the Texans play the Ravens next week. I think they're going to look bad as an offense again. Okay. Like his stats would be fine. Cause like from a fantasy perspective, David Johnson had a good game because he had three catches and he got that touchdown. If he doesn't get that touchdown, we're looking at 13 points, which is nothing to sneeze it's, at. It's not terrible for a running back, Yeah, but you want more. But here's the thing. He's going to get all of the volume because he had 11 carries. Deshaun had six. Uh, Duke Jackson had five. And that was in a game where they trailed after the second quarter. And on top of that, um, Deshaun Watson's carries, don't sacks count as carries? Only in college, not in the NFL. Okay. So he had five, he had six carries, and he had one touchdown, but that was one near the end zone. So he was going to vulture some. Right. From a fantasy perspective. But David Johnson is going to be getting the bulk of the workload. It's not going to be a timeshare situation or of anything that kind with Duke Johnson. So it's like, be DJ. So, like, Carlos Hyde was their leading runner last year. Yeah. He had 1,000 yards, like, slept walk to 1,000 yards, and he came off the field for Duke Johnson on all passing downs. David Johnson stays on the field for passing downs. I believe David Johnson even had four, like you said, four uh, targets, catching three of them for 32 yards. Exactly. So, he will be out there for passing down. So, you, it will allow some more scheming in that Texan office, offense. Yeah, if he stays healthy, I think he will probably be a top 15 running back just because of volume alone. So and if, the Texans always have a good offense. So if you don't have David Johnson, you may want to try to buy. I would – if you're going to try to buy David Johnson, it's it's hard because, you know, you don't want to overreact after just one week because you haven't seen that much. I would probably wait and see what he looks like against the Ravens mm-hmm. because if I'm trying to buy – if he does well against the Ravens, well, the price went up. But if he gets smothered by the Ravens, you might be able to get him for a good deal because after that, Houston schedule is going to get a lot easier. So after that, they have the – well, they don't – it doesn't get that much easier. They have Pittsburgh and Minnesota. After Pittsburgh and Minnesota, though, you have Jacksonville, Tennessee, Green Bay, Jacksonville, Cleveland. So the first month of the year is going to be tough for them, yeah. the Houston Texans. But then it opens up. I, I wouldn't be surprised if Houston starts 0-4 and, and we are talking about what's wrong with the Texans, why is Deshaun not doing well, and them still finishing at 500 or better. Mm-hmm. One thing, though, I do want to talk about 
specifically from watching this game was something you don't see a lot, but you're starting to see more in the NFL, and that's the black quarterback, right? Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, two African-American men playing the quarterback position at a high level. Deshaun Watson has always been a winner since going back to Clemson. Uh, Patrick Mahomes can throw <laughs> throw the ball 100 yards. <laughs> you can throw it to the moon if he wants to. <laughs> if he wanted to. Both these two dudes are the highest paid players in the NFL currently. Um, at least for the, on the offensive side, if not on uh, In football. football. They're quarterbacks, so they're going to be the highest paid players. Between and they the two both of them. just got extensions this, this offseason with Patrick Mahomes' uh, uh, extension coming in at half a billion dollars. You mean the GDP of a small nation? Yes. I'm really happy to see these quarterbacks on the rise. Specifically, uh, these two. I mean, they both got paid. Dak's about to get paid. And you still have Lamar, who will be getting paid soon. And then Kyler. If Kyler keeps it up, he will get paid too. And, like, the thing that's the most interesting to me about this is because we're going we're going to talk about race on the show because both of us are African American uh, hosts, so we will be talking about race. And one thing I find super interesting is that growing up, um, whenever a quarterback was considered athletic, that was a buzzword for black. Yep. And whenever they were considered smart or intelligent, it was a buzzword for white. But at this point, when you're watching it, you can't really use those buzzwords as much anymore because Deshaun Watson is a smart quarterback. Patrick Mahomes, smart, smart quarterback. quarterback. They're making good decision-making as well as being highly athletic and able to make the movements needed to get in the flat and cut and do what have you. Yep. And to break open. I mean, Patrick Mahomes didn't run at all yesterday, but Deshaun Watson still had six carries, like he said, for 27 yards. And a touchdown. He's able to make things happen with his legs, just both of them are, and keep you on your toes. Yep. I mean, when you can run, it opens things up because you have to dedicate, the defense has to dedicate linebackers to keep an eye on the quarterback. It screws up the math of the game because you have four guys rush the quarterback. You have five guys cover the five receivers. You have two safeties over the top, making sure nobody gets behind them. That is your classic cover two defense. If you do a cover two zone, you have five guys underneath covering space. You still have two guys making sure nobody gets past them. You still rush four. That's classic defense. Like you start hearing about cover threes. It's the same principle, but cover three is usually zone. Cover two is usually man or um, zone. Mm -hmm. So, when you have a running quarterback like uh, Lamar, especially Lamar, he breaks the game. Um, when you have a running quarterback like Kyler, who was number two in rushing yards last year for quarterbacks, um, Josh Allen, although not black, but still an athletic quarterback who runs a lot. Mm-hmm. Like these guys are successful because they screw up the math. So now you have the defense having to account for another player, right. which means they're more likely to break down which leads to more big plays. So you're more likely to get five yards, but you're also more likely to get 50. True. Which is end up becoming the rise of, though also Josh Allen's in, in this rushing group, it ends up being the rise of, of a, the more athletic, if you will, quote unquote, quarterback. So the black quarterback ends up being on the rise. 
which leads us into talking about the three games we're looking at for this week weekend, which is game number one, New England-Miami. I lie. Game number one, which is game number one, Dallas-LA Rams. Yep. You have Dak Prescott out here playing without a new contract, as nope. we all know. That we, I'm sure you've heard. He needs a new contract. He wants one. Get Jerry, get it done. You have Dak out here able to still also make you account for him yep. in the run game. And then he, the weapons he has on the offensive side and Zeke and even Tony Pollard as a backup running back. He's real good. Yeah. And CeeDee Lamb just acquired in the draft. Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup. Uh, You're forgetting the ever-dangerous Blake Jarwin. <laughs> Blake Jarwin. <laughs> uh, the weapons he has in the past game, in addition to him being able to get it done with his legs, Dak, sh- Dak is going to have a fantastic weekend, I believe. So it's funny with Dak because Dak put up huge numbers last year, but Jerry didn't want to pay him. He doesn't want to pay him franchise quarterback money. Dak has done franchise quarterback things since he got drafted. Like, yes. I think QB wins is the stupidest stat because all you have to do is start the game. You can hand it off 50 times. If your team wins, then you're a winning quarterback because that's it's just who started the game. Okay. No matter what you do. Dak is, I think, number two in QB wins since he was drafted. Wow. So if he's winning all the time and he has statistics to match being a top quarterback. Pay the man. I think Jerry Jones is going to cost himself a lot of money because he could have did the deal before Deshaun and Mahomes got the deal. Right. Dak was asking for 40. Well, Deshaun just got 39, and Mahomes got a billion dollars. Yeah, literally. Literally a billion dollars. <laughs> well, not literally. He got half a billion. I exaggerated. But he... But like after it, endorsements and yeah. things. <laughs> he, he, like we said... GDP of a small nation. But, like, Dak, if the Cowboys are as good as people think they're going to be this year, if he wins the Super Bowl, he's not going to make Mahomes money, but it's going to be close. Yeah. He's going to make more than Deshaun. Yeah. And Deshaun's deals for about $39 million a year. So if you're looking at 39 to 45, you're looking at about 42. And Dak signed a franchise tag, so he's paying for 30. I believe he asked for 40. He asked for 40. The Cowboys said 30. Nobody wanted to be in the middle and say 35. So that's where Jerry, you know, hurt himself already. Now you got two quarterbacks making 40. You're going to have to pay him. Mm -hmm. And if you don't pay him, are you going to let a quarterback of that caliber walk? The only benefit, and I don't even know if this is a benefit for Jerry – is that with COVID and there being no fans, the NFL is going to lose a lot of money. I don't know what they're going to do to negotiate the cap as far as how much it falls, but they're going to have to do something because the cap this year is at 175. The cap has been going up 10 million a year for the last eight years. Mm-hmm. So most teams account for that when they give out their contracts that the cap is going to go up. Most teams will be over the cap next year. Even if it doesn't fall, if they do some kind of negotiation so it doesn't fall. And if it does fall, Jerry's not going to be able to afford Dak because he can't afford Zeke and Tyron Smith and Amari Cooper and everyone else he drafted who he's paying $20 million a year. 
Now, I thought they moved um, that cornerback. Byron Jones, he left and went to Miami. Yeah, I thought they let him go so they could free up the money, but they still haven't given – they haven't backed the truck up to Dak. No, because they paid Zeke and they paid Amari Cooper. <laughs> like, you you want your new set of triplets, like how you had Irvin and Emmett and Aikman back in the 90s, you got to pay your triplets. Mm-hmm. And you figure out the rest. So, like, they restructured Demarcus Lawrence's deal today – to add $12 million in cap space. So that deal might be coming, you know, in the next couple of days. But he needs to get it done because every game that Dak balls out is he's costing himself money. Yeah. Yeah, because he's playing on the cap. Yep. On, on the tag. Now, this weekend they play the Rams. Yes. Sean McVay. Oh, I mean, last year I believe people were getting hired for being friends of Sean McVay, like on his Facebook, on his Facebook page. Yeah, link, if you have a LinkedIn connection, you could probably get a job in the NFL. But, like, has the shine on Sean McVay worn off? I don't think so. I think, if anything, the shine is wearing off on Les Snead, okay. the GM. So, the Rams, the new way to win in the NFL is to put a team in place and then draft a quarterback and then win before you pay the quarterback. The Rams shot their shot when they lost to the Patriots in the Super Bowl. Right. Because after that, Goff got his massive extension. Now he's making thirty plus million dollars a year. So because he's making thirty plus million a year, and you have the best non quarterback in football in Aaron Donald, he's making twenty million plus a year. Plus you just backed up the Brinks truck for Jalen Ramsey, and now he's making twenty million a year as a corner. Yeah, that's eighty million of your hundred and seventy five million dollar cap. That's why Todd Gurley had to leave, and. You're still going to have to pay the rest of your good guys. Like their line has fallen apart in the last year or two because they couldn't afford to pay them. You had guys retire. You couldn't afford to pay those guys. Um, Their receiving core, they traded out Brandon Cooks because they're going to have to pay him at the end of this year. They're going to have to pay Robert Woods, a.k.a. Bobby Trees. Mm -hmm. They're going to have to pay Cooper Cup. All of these guys need money. And where are you going to get it from? Because you tied... $80 $80 million into three players, you have to now spend $90 million on the other 50 Right. right. Like, that math doesn't necessarily work. Yeah. So, and then you add on top of that, Les Need is trading away draft picks. He's trading away first round picks to get the Jalen Ramseys of the world. He sent out a pick to get rid of Marcus Peters, who immediately went to the Ravens and became a pro bowler. Right. So, like, the cheapest, easiest way to build a team in the NFL now is through draft picks. You nail your draft picks, you get cost-controlled players for four years, you save money, and then you spend that money elsewhere to shore up your roster. Well, now they don't have any draft picks. So how are they going to shore up a roster that they already are going stars and scrubs? Right. It's and it's a problem, and I that's why I don't think it's a Sean McVay thing. I think it's a less need thing, because the Rams still went 9-7, and seven, and if that seventh playoff spot had started last year, they would have been the first team in. And then we're not having this conversation. Exactly. So, as you, you said, they lost Todd Gurley. They lost Brandon Cooks. They lost uh, Akeem Tlaib yep. to retirement. Well, they traded him away. Mm-hmm. They lost Clay Matthews. Um, I think they're in trouble. I think they're in trouble. And I think they're in trouble against this Dallas situation. Yes, they added Cam Akers. Yes, yeah. they added Van Jefferson in the draft. But I think they're still going to be having some issues. I think the Rams will be about where they were last year. And I don't mean that talent-wise. I mean 
in the I think they're going to be in that eight and eight, nine and seven range Mm -hmm. because they have a bunch of good players, but they also have a bunch of average to below average players. But Sean McVay is still a scheme lord. Like he figured it out after getting beat up for half the season. They had a horrible start. Then they decided, okay, maybe we can't run three receivers anymore. Maybe we're going to run two receivers and two tight ends. And then the offense was fine. They weren't world beaters like they were two, three years ago, but they're still a top 10 offense and they have the best corner in football and the best defensive tackle in football. Two dudes that will literally wreck your game. Right. So they're good enough to make the playoffs, but I don't think they're, I don't think they're good enough to be a conventional Super Bowl favorite. I think they can win the Super Bowl if everything breaks right. Versus, and they need everything to break. Right. Yeah, like the Cowboys need less stuff to break right to win the Super Bowl than the Rams. But the Cowboys defense, I don't know how good they're going to be either. So who do you have to win this Sunday? Between those two teams, I think it's going to be the Cowboys. All right, so you're taking the Cowboys. But I also think that Jalen Ramsey is going to erase Amari Cooper. Okay, so this is going to be the, the Michael Gallup CD Lamb show? I think it will be Michael Gallup and Zeke. Blake Jarwin. Who? Exactly. Yeah. It'll be the Blake Jarwin show <laughs> this weekend. Okay. Pivoting a little bit. I have another black quarterback to talk about. This one's in a new home. New England Patriots have signed Cam Newton. This weekend they'll be play, playing the Miami Dolphins. I'm excited about Cam being in a new home with Bill Belichick. I'm excited for the fact that the New England Patriots have a new quarterback for the first time in 15 years, 20 years? Uh, since the 2000 season? Yeah. 2001 so, season? So two, 19 years. They have yeah. a, a new quarterback for the first time in 19 years in Cam Newton. I think Cam looks healthy. I think Cam's ready to go. I mean, how can you know how healthy he is when all you see is clips on Center because they haven't actually had any public practices? Like, yeah, we think he's good. But up until this week, we also thought that they were going to do a quarterback timeshare between Cam Newton and Ryan Mallett, which is funny just to think about. So, right, I I think Cam will be fine. I'm actually very curious what that offense will look like because this is going to be the first time we get to see how smart Josh McDaniels and Belichick really are. Because the last time we saw Josh McDaniels run the show was when he was head coach of the Broncos, and that was a disaster. Well, the... The New England situation has always seemed to me like a plug-and-play type deal. I mean, you had the year that you had Jimmy Jimmy G out there getting things done for a couple games while Brady was suspended. Jacoby Brissett looked great. The one, So we've only seen Belichick without Brady one year, uh-huh. and that was the year that Brady tore his ACL 2008 season. When Flowers went after him. Uh, yeah, so his knee went out in the first quarter of the first game. They went 11-5 and five with Matt Castle. Right. And they missed the playoffs because that was the Dolphins' wildcat season when the wildcat became in vogue. And right. the Dolphins won the division and Patriots missed the playoffs. Other than that, it's been Brady and Belichick doing things together. So, well, Cam, Cam is not able to just fit in that system. He's a different guy. He is. He's stronger than Tom Brady. He's larger than Tom Brady. But he's not as accurate. He's not as accurate. 
So, like, the Brady system was predicated on moving the chains and taking big plays when you when they're presented to you. Cam is more of a freak athlete and isn't as cerebral. But with that being said, Cam drugged the Panthers to the Super Bowl with a 15-1 record, and his receivers were Philly Brown and Ted Ginn Jr. Yeah. So he's a different kind of animal. So you give him guys like Julian Edelman, guys like Nikhil Harry, we're going to see something different. I don't buy Nikhil Harry. Really? I don't buy him at all because, and maybe this isn't a knock on him, but when was the last time the Patriots drafted a good receiver? Uh, I guess you'll wait. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, because Julian Edelman came over from the Dolphins. Right. So the, the Patriots don't know how to draft and develop receivers. So until I see otherwise, I'm just going to assume that Nikhil Harry isn't very good. Like, he may be a very good football player, but he may, I don't think he's going to be effective. Okay. Switching gears. They're playing the Miami Dolphins. Right. The Dolphins have Ryan Fitzpatrick playing quarterback with a yep. heavy heart. Because um, I believe his mother passed away yes. a week or two ago. Um, they traded Josh Rosen. They have Tua playing uh, backup right there. This offseason, they went and got Jordan Howard and Matt Breda. Um, Preston Williams is there. And Devontae Parker really came on the end of last year middle to the end of last year. Do you think they even have a chance against these New England Patriots? I think they do. And the reason I think they do is I think Brian Flores proved to be a good coach because the Dolphins were a laughing stock for much of last year. Right. People thought they were going to go 0-16. They ended up getting winning four or five games. They ended up with the fifth pick, which they used to take Tua. Right. I don't think the Dolphins are going to make the playoffs this year, but I think they'll be respectable. I, I can see six or seven wins out of them. And with New England losing half of their defense who sat out because of COVID, yeah. I think they can win this game. So you think Miami can win this game? I think they can win this game. Okay. Okay, I, I can I can get down with that. I'm not I'm don't get it twisted. I'm not picking them in a suicide pool. Right. But I think they can win this game. But on the podcast you're picking them to win this game. Well I mean, what's in it for me to pick? <laughs> <laughs> hey, listen. Listen, these are CJ's picks. So, yeah. you, I mean, you have Dallas over the Rams. Are you going New England over Miami or are you going Miami over New England? I think I'm going to go. Yeah, I'm going to do it. Miami over New England. Okay. So, we'll definitely see how that, how that works out over this weekend. Uh, speaking of New England and having a new team, I want to talk about the last game for this week, Saints, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay, Tampa Bay. You had it right the first time. Tom Brady's on a new team for the first time in the amount of years that we just said about the New England Patriots. He went and also used the Wayback Machine, but the real one, Bill and Ted's uh, phone booth, and he went and got Gronk. He went and got LaShawn McCoy. <laughs> he went and got Shady, and he said. Let's run this thing. Which I find hilarious because last time we saw Shady, he was standing on the sideline in street clothes during the Super Bowl because Andy Reid scratched him. He was a healthy inactive. And we all know Chiefs weren't that great at running back last year. Right. So how much does he have left in the tank after the COVID offseason where who knows, you know, how good he's going to look. 
And then you got Brady bringing in Gronk, former WWE 24 7 champion. Yeah. He pulled him out of the ring and said, Hey, come play football. And Gronk was like, Sure, I like football and smashing things. <laughs> and now he's on the Bucks. I mean, they do have other weapons too. They did shockingly sign Leonard Fournette. Yeah, but it makes a lot of sense because Leonard Fournette wanted to rebuild his value. Right. Like he's trying to get paid. He was never going to get paid in Jacksonville. And opportunity cost. No one's going to claim Leonard Fournette on waivers when he costs $5 million right. or $6 million. But a lot of people are going to pay Leonard Fournette when he costs $1 million. And so they went and signed Leonard Fournette. They still have Ronald Jones. They still have O.J. Howard. Yep. Still have Cameron Bray. Still have Cameron Bray. Still have Mike Evans. Bruce Arians is there. Still have Chris Godwin. Yep. It's going to be interesting watching these guys get the ball while they have a quarterback that can see them running their routes because famously Jameis, his eyesight was not the greatest. And yep. He was throwing pick after pick for yeah, that I mean, reason. He got LASIK, and now he's with Sean Payton. So as soon as Drew Brees retires, I expect Jameis to throw for 5,000 yards every season. 30 touchdowns, but only 15 interceptions now. Speaking of that, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers are playing the New Orleans Saints. How much info is Jameis giving to Sean, to Sean Payton? I think he's telling him everything he knows, but I don't know how much of that matters. Because I would expect the Bucks offense to look very similar to New England's offense right. of the last few years with much better players. Because you want to utilize the, the talents that Tom Brady has or he's exhibited. I think that we're going to see early on this season that the Bucks are going to have their hiccups because they're still learning each other because, again, no practicing. They have very limited time together. It's probably going to look a lot like the first month, month and a half when Peyton Manning went to the Broncos where he has he does what he's comfortable with and the Broncos tried to fit him into the system and then Peyton Manning started saying no I don't like this I don't like this we're going to do it this way and by the second half of the season it was Peyton Manning's system and the Broncos were running it right I don't think that I think that Arians is going to try to maintain his system and Brady's going to find what he likes within that system and then they're going to start going towards what makes Brady comfortable which will be a lot more of the New England style um, routes and formations that you normally see. Well, we have one four-year-old quarterback playing another one in this this game, and Drew Brees and the New Orleans Saints. Yep, I am a Saints fan, unapologetically. Um, I think my team can win the Super Bowl this year, personally. I think your team has been underachieving and should have won multiple Super Bowls in the last 10 years. So with that being the case, I think with Michael Thomas, Alvin Kamara, uh, Latavius Murray. Emmanuel Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders with us having Cameron Jordan on defense. This, this defense is stout. I love the defense. So. Jared Cook. I think, I think this week is going to be, even though. Uh, Tampa Bay made all those moves. I don't think there was enough to knock the Saints off of winning the NFC South. So this is the first time that Tom Brady will not be the favorite in a game as the starting quarterback in 76 games. For years, he's just been the favorite every week. 
That's what he's used to. And he's not the favorite now. As much as you talk about the Saints offense being good, it's actually their defense is what makes me think they can win the Super Bowl. They have a lot of young studs. Problem is, they're going to have to pay everyone. And if Breeze doesn't retire, that's they're already over the cap. Like They tried that exercise in cap gymnastics with the trying to get the Browns to sign Jadavian Clowney. I thought they were going to sign Jadavian Clowney. <laughs> so, so the Browns was that team. So the Browns was team B in the exercise. But basically, for those who don't know, the Saints went to the NFL and said, we want to sign Jadavian Clowney, but we don't have the money to do it. So we're going to find another team to sign him, which will immediately pay his signing bonus. Then they're going to trade him to us for a pick. So basically, a team was going to buy a draft pick, which for some reason the NFL is against. And I don't understand why, because they've allowed it before when the Texans traded Brock Osweiler also to the Browns and got a second round pick for it. The Texans sent Brock Osweiler and a second round pick to offload his $20 million cap hit uh-huh. and that the Browns ate. The Browns, I think, sent back a six pick. Like, okay. So it was a, a trade, but it wasn't a trade. They were selling their cap space. I think that was a ads for forgiveness over permission type move. Yeah, but the Saints went to the NFL this time and said, this is what we want to do. Can we do it? And the NFL said, no, you're already too good, which as a 49er fan, I'm okay with. But as a football fan, it would have been real nice to see Jadavian Clowney on that defense. Man, that would have been crazy. Him and Cam Jordan. Yeah. Man, it would be like similar to what happened with J.J. Watt. Yep. It would have been insane. CJ, who do you got winning this game? I think the Saints. I think what's going to happen is the Saints are going to throw early. The Bucks have a very stout run defense, but they are not very good against the pass. And I think Drew Brees is going to expose them. And I think they'll be able to do enough to beat the Bucks, but I think it's going to be close. Okay, so you have officially for your picks, you have Dallas over the Rams. Yep. Miami over New England. And New Orleans over Tampa Bay. Yep. For my picks, I'm going to go Dallas, New England, and the Saints. We'll see what happens next week. We'll see if anything's different. I want to switch gears a little bit, though. We've talked enough football. I want to talk about the bubble. Love the bubble. The NBA bubble, specifically. Oh, not the hockey bubble? Not the hockey bubble. Not the wobble. I mean, that's not really a bubble. Shout out, though, to the Aces and the wobble. Them and the Storm are getting it done. Yep. Those girls are balling. Those girls are balling. But talking about the NBA bubble, okay, we are... We have the Bucks getting bounced. Shocker by the Heat. I didn't expect that to happen. I didn't expect it to happen either. I expected the Bucks to get bounced in the conference, finals, the conference finals. Because that's what Mike Buttonholzer does. <laughs> he gets you to the conference finals and then he gets steamrolled by LeBron or Kawhi or whatever superstar wants to eliminate him then. And this side, the superstar that eliminated him was Jimmy Butler. I didn't know Jimmy Butler had it in him. Like, I knew he was crazy, but I know he was he had it in him to be a stone-cold assassin. Jimmy Butler has looked like that dude throughout the whole time. Yep. They were, they were in that series. Then Giannis went down with that injury, and you knew it was curtains. Curtains for the Bucks. Yep. Like, it's funny because Bud didn't make any changes. 
Like yeah. he's like, this is how we got here. I'm I'm gonna die on this hill. Like this is what I do. This is how I run my offense. I'm like, have you ever heard of an adjustment? Right. Because right. any team you coach has pretty much shown up to be a lock for 50 wins. Because like he had the the Hawks winning 50 games a season, and they didn't have any stars. Like, they had four All-Stars because the Eastern Conference was a joke at that point. And they were playing as a team. Yeah, which is why why their starting five won the Eastern Conference Player of the Month, which I think is the most trash thing I had ever seen. (laughs) But sure, whatever. We'll allow it. So, Bud, like, he knows how to coach. Nobody's questioning that. But he doesn't make adjustments. Right. Right. And so that was how they ended up losing 4-1 in the series. Yep. Giannis played good when he was playing, but it wasn't good enough. Jimmy Butler went out there and balled. Balled. He killed him. Then Goran Dragic, resurgence. Yeah, I forgot that he still played basketball after he left the Suns. Yeah, he went down to Miami. Uh, I think you got to get a lot of credit to Spo. Eric Spolstra has put together this team, and him and Pat Riley, and he's been able to really have them come on and kill it. I think that... This Heat team helps vindicate Riley standing by him all those years with LeBron. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of people are like, well, yeah, they won the rings, but because of LeBron. Spo knows what he's doing. Yeah, Spo has maintained you know, winning teams despite losing all those ta- that talent. And now that they won and they announced they beat Giannis, if they uh, beat the Nets next year, they might be able to get Kevin Durant because he likes to go to winning teams. <laughs> No, I'm not bitter as a Warriors fan. <laughs> uh, they'll be taking on in the Eastern Conference Finals the winner of the Boston Celtics Toronto, Toronto Raptors. Raptors series. I thought Boston had put the series away. Boston thought they had put the series away too. And then the rise of Fred Van Fleet. Yeah. What's going to happen with him this offseason? Is he going to get paid? I think he will. I don't know. I want to say Toronto is going to be the one that pays him. But I don't know because right. he he's a starter, but I don't know if he's a star. And I think he's going to be able to get star money because he's been doing it in big, big, like the big moments. Like Fred Van Fleet, he kind of reminds me of a rich man's Derek Fisher. Mm-hmm. As in like, yeah, he can disappear. But when you need him, he's there. He's there. He puts on that cake. Yeah. Well, same thing as Fish. So. I don't know how much he's going to make because, again, the cap is going to be in chaos. The NBA cap was already at risk of not rising because of the controversy with um, China with China and Sam Hinkie. Because losing that revenue, somewhere I read that they were going to lose like $600 million in revenue right. because China pulled out. Well, now you lost 25% of your season in TV revenue and games, plus you lost all all of the In attendance, yeah. yeah, all of the attendance revenue from attendance for the all of the postseason. So, like, they had to play these games to keep the cap afloat. Right. With the cap going down, I don't know how much a lot of these players are going to make. And if it's similar to the cap spike where the players are like, no, we're not doing smoothing. If you see the cap drop $15 million, $20 million, you're going to lose the middle class of players in the NBA. Right. Because they're going to be the ones that get cut first. Because they're the ones that, yeah, that's where you're going to save that money at. LeBron's not worried about this. Yeah. LeBron's salary is tied to the cap. Anthony so Davis is not worried about this. His salary is tied to the cap. But, like, 
And the guys like Kyle Kuzma who haven't been paid yet, they're good. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think he's very good, but financially he's good. He's going to be good, yeah. Yeah, but like the dudes that are making six to eight million, the Danny Greens of the world, are the ones that are in trouble. Right. So I'm very curious to see what happens because like as a Warriors fan, I'm not too concerned. I'm concerned about the age of the team and, you know, how they're going to rebound after, you know, the season being awful. Kind of hoping they ship that number two pick to get Giannis, but that's just a pipe dream. But the league itself, like, what do you do financially? I know the players are lobbying to um, basically get floated alone okay. for this year and then lose the get pay the money back on the new CBA. And the owners are going to want to take the money from the players immediately. Right. So this offseason may be a very long offseason. Have they figured this out with the money wise? Yeah, I'm hoping for no lockout, but I don't know. Well, tonight we're going to get game seven of that series. Yep. Uh, Jason, Tatum, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Kimba Walker, they've been doing their thing. Will they finally be able to put this series away? Will they send the Raptors home? I thought they were going to do it two games ago. Yeah. So I'm hoping that they uh, they do it because the Celtics were my pick out of the East all year. Okay, so Celtics heat in the Eastern Conference Finals is what we're looking at. I think so. Oh, but no. I wouldn't be shocked if the Raptors do it, but I think it's going to be Celtics. Back out West, we have the Los Angeles Clippers facing off against the Denver Nuggets currently. Yep. Denver just looks outclassed. I know Jamal Murray just be balled out in that series against Donovan Mitchell. Yes. But I have he doesn't look like he looks he looks tired. <laughs> he looks tired. I mean it's hard putting up fifty points a night week after like night after night. Night after night. Every other night after every other night. Yeah. Yeah. I mean at least he doesn't have to travel because in the bubble. But it's hard because it's real hard when your best player is a big. It's harder yeah. than the NBA now, like that. Because the game is so different now. Yeah, because, like, Jokic is good, and Jamal Murray's good, but, like, he's Eastern Conference All-Star good. <laughs> he's not Western Conference All-Star good. And when you got PG-13 and Kawhi, like, yeah. it, it's, life is a lot harder on Jamal Murray this series than on Jokic. And then you got that heartbeat and, and Pat Bev. Yep. Like, it makes it just difficult. They got two six-man of the year on their team. Yeah. The Clippers. Which makes no sense because there can only be one six-man. The other is logically the seventh man. Yeah, no, they had two, both guys. Both, we check it at the same time. Both the six-man. Yep, super subs. Montrez Harrell and Lou Will. Like, I think they put away that series. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think the Nuggets win another game. On the other side, you got the Lakers facing off against the Houston Rockets. Yep. Micro ball versus big ball. I don't really know what's going on here. Uh, the Rockets have been in games, but then they give it away in the fourth. I don't know what they're going to do, and I'm not really sure how they plan on beating the Lakers. I think their plan is to live by the three, die by the three. So hey. It's how they got here. It's true. And, like, unfortunately, Russ can't shoot. Russ can't shoot. And when Russ can't shoot, if he's not out there distributing, if he's taking shots, they're screwed. What's even crazier is that this is a 
Russ supporting podcast. I'm a big Russ, Russell Westbrook fan. Right. But and he can't shoot. He can't <laughs> shoot. He can't shoot. He can't get it done. He's like a little bit more aggressive Rondo. Yeah. A little bit more aggressive Rondo. He's far more offensively talented, but he can't shoot. Well, speaking of Rondo, playoff Rondo has shown up for the Lakers, and he's ready to make a push for the championship. Yeah. You have LeBron James and Anthony Davis who are the guys for that team. And I, it was funny. I was watching some analysis uh, yesterday, and they were talking about the uh, third man for the Lakers, the third guy. And the third guy is whoever's open. Yep. That's what they said. So they were talking about how uh, Caruso, how uh, Kuzma, Danny Green, how Danny Green, how they've all really stepped up. Uh, KCP. Yep. They've all really stepped up, and the points are like spread throughout them. So, was, and I was watching plays as LeBron was getting doubled. Whoever was open, who so he gave the ball to, and then that's the guy that shoots. You know who didn't step up? J.R. Smith. He's still on the bench for that gaffe in the finals. What was it two, three years ago now? Yeah, he got resigned. He got signed by the Lakers, but he hasn't. He's been non-existent. I mean, it's a good paycheck being LeBron's friend. Yeah. <laughs> so you got Lakers Clippers in, I, I in got the Lakers Western Clippers. Conference Finals. Who do you think pulls through? I think Clippers in seven, possibly. I think whoever wins that series though wins the championship. I think that the. Lakers are a better matchup for the Celtics. Okay. But I think that who I think either way the West wins. Right. But I got Clippers in seven because although I don't even know if LeBron or AD would be the best player in that series because Kawhi's real good. But they have two of the three best players in that series, but the Clippers got the best team. Yeah. Because of the team. Yeah. Because of the team. And unless LeBron and AD are both playing 45 minutes a game, which they very well could, I don't see the Lakers getting past the Clippers. I think they're going to take it to them. I think they're going to win three games. But I, I think the Clippers are better. I I don't know. I, I, I'm a Laker fan, but putting my fandom to the side, I think, I think when the Clippers are on, they're on. Yes. But the Clippers have to be on. That's the hard part. Yep. Like they like the Lakers can have a bad day, but LeBron and Anthony Davis can take care of business because they're super duper stars. Yeah. Whereas if the Clippers are if if Paul George falters a little bit, if Pat Bev is not being as aggressive, then Clippers lose that game. Yep. And that's what's tough. Lastly, I want us to talk about a little Big Brother. All right. All right. So, as you know, here on the Strife Podcast, we're going to talk about. All things competition, and currently we're watching Big Brother Twenty Two, which is Big Brother All Stars. Um, when we last left off, Christmas was the HOH. Christmas Abbott, CrossFit star, was in the HOH. She had put up Davon Rogers and Bailey Dalton. I think still Dalton, maybe Williams, because she's married to Swaggy. I don't know, but they, she had put them on the block. Bailey went home last night in a unanimous vote, and the HOH competition was being held while the show went off the air. Yep. All week, it's been rough because Bailey's previous season in Big Brother 20, she was characterized as the angry black woman, if you will. 
And Davon has gotten that. Same too. type of edit before. So them being on the block next to each other was a real rough thing for some of us to have to deal with. But it was inevitable. It was going to happen. They're seen as a pair. Un- not any fault of their own. Well, it's funny because Christmas said, the reason why I'm putting you up is because you said that Davon was your ride or die. Because you're untouchable. Yeah. Which is essentially the final two. Right. But why does it matter if you don't want Davon or Bailey to be your final two? Correct. You. It's not like you were getting rid of one of them to take them on yourself. You were just getting rid of one of them to get rid of one of them. Not only that, Danny, uh, Danielle, yep. uh, formerly Daniel Donato, and Nicole Franzel, they're essentially final twos. If they're not untouchable to final twos, Nicole Franzel and, and Ian are final two. Are final two. I forgot Ian's last name. These there are other final two pairings in here. Yeah, it's looking like Enzo and Cody are a final two, or mm-hmm. Memphis and Cody are a final two, and I get it. Because of the two main alliances in the house, you have about 10 people who are allied at this point right. through either firm alliances or tangentially. Yeah, because like with Christmas being the HOH, she's in with Cody and Tyler. Tyler is buddies with David. Tyler's friends with Christmas. Tyler's friends with Christmas. So when Christmas is going, I think we should put up David. She, Tyler's going to be like, mm, no, nah, he's not a threat this week. Let's go after someone else. He's just going to help guide the HOH away from his friends. So realistically, coming into this week, the only people who would have even been potentially going on the block were Davon and Bailey, as well as Ian and um, Kevin. Yes, but on top of that, uh, the plan had been in place for Danny to be back backdoored yep. because of all her scheming. Yet, for whatever reason... Christmas, who was the HOH and the veto winner, decided not to go with it. There's a lot of things that this could be. Race plays a lot to do with these things because even though someone may not be overtly talking about race, it is always underlying unbeknownst to most. Well, you always have to ask yourself the question when you're black, is this because I'm black? Right. Unfortunately, it's just it's the way that the world works. And you saw it with the editing this week when you have Bailey and Davon both getting into it with Christmas multiple times mm-hmm. and both of them openly acknowledging that Christmas can come at them a certain kind of way. And they cannot respond in kind. And they can't respond with the same emotion and fear because then they're going to be stereotyped as the angry black woman. And then the house is going to use that as the reason to vote them out. And like, if you're watching the feeds online, you're seeing a lot of uproar on Twitter because Christmas has said some questionable things such as she doesn't feel safe in the house with Bailey there because Bailey would shoot her or stab her, but that didn't make air. Oh, that's fine. But it's definitely something that was said. And then you have to wonder from a gameplay perspective, was this a good move for Christmas? Bailey thought she was extremely close to Christmas. Yeah. That was someone she had in her pocket. There are people that are not as close to Christmas that she definitely could have targeted and been able to eliminate. Yet, she went with people that she felt like she was working with because she's 
quote unquote, down for the team. I don't know what kind of job Paul Abraham did on her in Big BB-19, but it was enough to convince her that it's okay to make mistakes that if it works for whoever's in charge, which is not her. No. Who do you think is actually in charge right now? So currently in the power structure of the game, uh, this past week, Tyler was in charge until Bailey and Davon got information from Danny that Tyler was coming after them, which he wasn't. That was a lie because Danny was actually coming after Bailey and Davon. So the person actually in the best place in this game is Enzo. Yes. He's not a target. He's friends with everyone. Everyone seems to love him. Enzo's in the best place in the game. The person still in charge is actually Cody. Cody still has a lot of control on the power structure of the game because the people that he's working closely with are not really being targeted in Enzo or Nicole or Danny. Though Danny is secretly being targeted, no one has openly said it. And this week has been like a take back of what was said during Enzo's HOH because of everything that happened and everything that got spilled out. Right. I also now think Davon is safe because everyone wants to work with Davon now that she's the one that's left in the house with Bailey gone. I think a lot of people are going to secretly try to work with Davon. So I think you're right in the fact that she's safe, but the problem is, is with everyone being allied loosely is you got to throw your vote somewhere. Mm -hmm. So if David goes up, Tyler's going to try to save him. Mm -hmm. If Davon goes up, the girls are going to try to save her. Cause at this point it looks like the women that are left in the house might actually start working together because they need to because the dudes are picking them off. But there's only four left. Yeah, but if they just say we're not going to vote for each other, you can start getting rid of the dudes. How can you do that if two of them go on the block next to each other? The numbers are not there any longer. But the dudes are going to start looking at the other dudes and being like, "Eh, I should probably get rid of him. Well, they know. Okay, Enzo's claim to fame is having the brigade, creating the brigade, which is a four-person alliance in Big Brother 12. With the brigade, it was they had four guys, and then they had uh, parachute alliances where they had like right. a person with them, usually a female. But they were broing down. Cody's bro was Derek in Big Brother sixteen. I think broing down the thing that the guys are willing to do. Tyler didn't bro down. He was closer to KC and Angela. Yes, but. If he needs to do that to stay in this game, I don't see why he wouldn't. Memphis was with Dan. Yes. That's another bromance right there, going working together. If Memphis wants to take out Ian, I think partially for Ian beating Dan. So, and Big Brother 14. Yes. So, with these being the reasons, I don't see why any reason the guys would start going after each other till they have to. So, I'm looking at the house as it currently stands, and I think... Enzo, Cody, and Tyler are a firm three. Okay. I think... Triple threat. That's the name of their alliance. I didn't realize they name them, but they name everything, so I'm not surprised. Um, I think that Memphis is loosely allied with them. As in, he's the dude that's going to be cut last of the guys. I think that David 
is only skating by because Tyler vouches for him. Okay. So I think Ian and Kevin are the next two dudes that are gone. Okay. I think Nicole Franzel is going to push to keep Ian. Yeah. But if she does it too hard, they're going to turn on her. And Nicole's been looking out for number one the whole time. Um, so like she's not going to put her neck on the line for Ian because she's not winning a competition. The only thing she's winning is a unitard because that's how she plays. Um, and I love Nicole Francel, but I'm just saying. So then you have Kevin who has no allies left in the game unless he starts working with Ian and Davon. I don't know how the three of them get past, you know, the final eight. And realistically, I don't think any of them are winning uh uh, endurance comp. Mm-hmm. So they're going to have to win like how Christmas lucked into her HOH despite not answering a single question. <laughs> Damon, Kevin, Ian will answer questions correctly and win, but one of them has to win to start sowing seeds of discord yeah. between the two main alliances. Cause you got one half of the house. There's what 11 people left. Mm-hmm. So it's those three are the three that are on the outs. And if one of them doesn't win this week, one of the one of those three is going home. Well, I see it. I feel like Memphis, Ian, David, Kevin, and Davon are really on the outs. I could see that. Uh, Memphis is has the commission. Yes. And he has the alliance with Cody. But well, that's the commission. And then the committee is the, the committee. Six. He has the committee and he has the commission. But I think you're right in that. Memphis is Cody's shield. Yeah. This season. With the commission, yeah. Yeah. And then, the, yeah, like you said, the committee with the, the like five or six person alliance that that is. I mean, from what I understand when I was watching the feeds the other day, Danny wants to bring Davon in as the new sixth in the committee. And she wants Christmas out. So I just, I didn't get the feeling from what they showed because I don't watch the feeds from what they showed that Danny and Christmas are on the outs. Well, Danny wanted Christmas to backdoor Tyler. Right. And so did Bailey and Davon. And from what they showed, Tyler went and asked for it. Tyler and Christmas did said go no. and ask for it. And Christmas said no. And told him to get his head back in the game. So with everyone, with that not happening... Danny doesn't feel like Christmas has her best interests at heart. So that's why she's out on Christmas. Nicole's also out on Christmas because she didn't necessarily want Tyler gone, but she didn't need, she didn't want Davon up next to Bailey. Right. So these, everyone has their own agenda, but working together is very crucial for a game like Big Brother. And that's why I think Christmas is having a rough time, but that's why I think Enzo, who seems to be the most amenable, is in a, the best spot. I think he's in the best spot, but I don't think he's running the house. I think you're right that Cody's running the house right now. I think Cody's still running the house. I think Tyler almost flipped it and start, took control, mm-hmm. but then this past week happened and he didn't stop Christmas from putting up Bailey and Davon. Tyler literally fell out with every girl in the house except for Christmas. This yeah. Week. Yeah. And. I don't know if he has the votes to be saved if he ends up on the block because of all the discord that he's sown. I think he might, though. It depends on who he's sitting on the block next to. If he's sitting on the block next to Nicole, no. If he's sitting on the block next to Cody, maybe. 
I don't think he does. Uh, I think they might see it as a chance to get Cody out. They, as in Davon, Kevin, um, David, Memphis. Well, not Memphis, because Memphis is with Cody. But those those three, along with Ian, Ian and Christmas, because Christmas probably wouldn't be on the block because she couldn't put him up. Depends on who puts, puts them up next to each other. Christmas apparently won't vote Tyler out, so Cody would be out. Yeah, and that would be the way that that would have to break down. But we will have to see who wins this HOH. Yeah. And then figure the determination out from there. Big Brother is a fantastic game. We will be following it until its completion for the rest of this podcast. Yep. Lastly, CJ, I heard you had some things you wanted to say about wrestling. Yeah, so... AEW had their version of WrestleMania this past weekend called All Out. I'm a huge wrestling fan, if you are unaware. In fact, I went to All Out last year in Chicago. Made my first pilgrimage to go to a wrestling show. Mm -hmm. Super excited. They crowned their first world champion at the show. It was amazing. So this year, unfortunately because of COVID, they're closed down. As I brought up earlier in the show, they have fans on their stands now where they do it at Daly's Place, which is an amphitheater connect to the Jacksonville Jaguar Stadium because their owner is Tony Khan, who is Shad Khan's son. Mm-hmm. Shad Khan owns the Jaguars. So a couple of things I wanted to bring up. It was a fun show. It was very entertaining. I got my $50 worth where I paid, bought on pay-per-view. Two things I want to talk about. Number one, the fans being in the stands. We talked about it loosely with the fans booing. One of the other weird things about having fans in the stands is the social distancing aspect. So in the stadium, you have John Moxley, who is the AEW heavyweight champion. When he enters, he enters through the crowd. He doesn't come out through the stage. Mm-hmm. When he came out, a fan tried to bum rush him and give him a high five. So you see this, and then you see security come flying through with the tackle like he's trying out for the Jaguars. Okay. <laughs> and takes the dude down. Moxley looks at this happen, looks at the camera, shrugs, walks away. We got to figure out how to control fans in this environment. I understand that you have your requirements where they have to wear a mask and you have them social distance throughout the seats and everything. But if fans are going to be out there acting rowdy, you can't have them in the building. So that was interesting to see. Especially because, like, with the Chiefs having fans, that's great. You have fans in the stands, but they didn't social distance the parking lot. And they showed a wide shot of the parking lot at the end of the first quarter, early second quarter. You had all the cars lined up parked next to each other. Mm. So what was the point of social distancing in the stands when they all got to walk out together and walk like sheep being herded right to their cars? So I thought that was dumb. Other thing I wanted to talk about was... Matt Hardy's match with Sammy Guevara. Hmm. So they had a, quote, broken rules match, which I don't know what that is. And I've watched wrestling my whole life. (laughs) (laughs) So what it was, was a last man standing match, meaning you knock down your opponent. They got to get up by the count of 10, similar to a boxing knockdown. Right. In that match, about three minutes in, they were wrestling on a scissor lift because it's wrestling and they fight where they want. And... Sammy tackled Matt off of the scissor lift. They were supposed to both go through a table. Matt overshot the table and fell headfirst into the concrete about 15 feet below. Oh, wow. Yeah. 
he was immediately knocked out and limp. And the ref threw up the X showing that he was hurt and we're stopping. And she's checking his neck to make sure he's not dead. And Sammy gets up and starts crawling away. From the wrestling aspect, the ref should have started counting. Hmm. But the ref didn't start counting because he was legitimately hurt and they check for their well-being, whether this is a staged fight or not. Right. So totally understandable. I support the ref. Sammy, not knowing what's going on because he just tackled him off the thing, starts yelling at the ref to count. So the ref starts counting. Matt Hardy somehow comes to and starts getting up. Oh, wow. Really? Yeah. So he gets up and tries to continue the match, but he's stumbling around like a drunk guy. Like, can't stay on his feet. They're tackling each other, like, wrestling around, but it it looks horrible. Right. So AEW makes the right call to call off the match. Because okay. match he was, ends. He, he was knocked out. He legitimately goes. hurt. So after this happens, they don't know what to do. It's a pay-per-view. Like, this match was booked to fill 15 minutes of time. So they start filming Sammy walking back to the arena because... This happened out on the concourse between the football stadium and the concert venue. Okay. And they film him walking for about two minutes as he's walking back to the ring. And all of a sudden, Matt Hardy comes out of a door, attacks him. And then the bell rings again. And then the match restarts. The match was back on. And the match was back on. But they went straight to the finish. So then they fought in the stands up to the stage. Then they climbed a scaffold while still fighting. And then Matt knocked Sammy off of the scaffolding through some crash pads nearby. Sammy was knocked out. Match ends. So after this, AEW comes out and says, we checked Matt and he was deemed medically cleared to continue. So that's why we let him restart the match. We're sending him to the hospital out of, quote, and abundance of precaution. I hate that phrase so much. And I hear it all the time because of COVID. My problem with this is anyone who was watching knew the dude was knocked out. Right. Like people were afraid he was dead. You let him restart a match after a two minute concussion check. When you get knocked out on the football field, you're done. Like you're out for the game. Even if you come to and you walk off, they take you're your done. helmet, you're they out. hide it. Yeah. There's no reason this match should have been restarted. And it kind of tainted, which was a pretty fun show. But now I'm questioning what I'm watching again. Because the big thing about wrestling is being able to suspend your disbelief. And when you see someone get hurt like that, it kind of takes away your enjoyment. Because you witnessed it. Yes. You were a part of it. Yes. So, wanted to talk about that. Love wrestling. It's a lot of fun. But... It makes it hard to watch when they're not protecting their performers. You got to keep them safe, just like they do in the NFL. You expect them to keep them safe. Exactly. It's the same. It's not any different than a ref in the UFC when Sean O'Malley blew out his ankle a few weeks ago, mm-hmm. and he wasn't taking enough damage for the fight to stop. But because of the concern with his ankle, they stopped the fight. I didn't appreciate. I didn't agree with it, but I understood it. Right. Who? Who won that match between Sammy Guevara and Matt Hardy? So Matt Hardy won. And I think the reason they started the match is because there was a stipulation that if Matt Hardy lost the match, he was banished from AEW forever. So you needed to get the finish. So that he could stay. But again, this is professional wrestling. Like 
these stories aren't worth the paper that they're written on. Right. You can come up with some reason while he's back, some loophole. You can introduce a lawyer and say he put in this clause that Sammy missed so he gets one more rematch to get his job back, yada, yada, yada. Hell, the main event, Moxley, the champion, the MJF, who was the villain of the story, hired a lawyer to do the contract for their world title match. And in the contract, um, Moxley's finishing move called the paradigm shift paradigm shift was barred it was illegal if he used it he was disqualified so that was in the contract so moxley brings out a contract that mjf signs without looking his lawyer didn't read and he goes so i signed your contract but i actually added a 17th page what does the 17th page say that moxley gets a singles match with mjf's lawyer and if the lawyer doesn't show up for the match then mjf loses his title shot this is wrestling. You can do the most whatever ridiculous, want, yeah, the most ridiculous things, and we're gonna buy in because we know it's not real. We're in on the joke. We just want to be entertained, which is why we suspend our disbelief. Right. You got to protect your people because now I'm being reminded that it's real and it's not that pretty. <laughs> perfect, perfect. We talked about football. We talked about basketball. We talked about Big Brother. We talked about wrestling. Yep. That was the strife. This is the strife. CJ, got anything you want to plug? I mean, you can follow me on Twitter at Keyboard Sarcasm. Follow me on Instagram at CJLeo4. You can follow me at KG Fury. Make sure you check out the other podcasts on the Fury Podcast Network, such as Top 5 Go, DCOM After Dark, Wasted Time. Those are some other podcasts to check out. We'll be back next week to talk about some football Thursday night football game as well as what's happening in the bubble and big brother with all that say bye bye